Welcome to season four of And the Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy And The Writer Is, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. Listen, I, I don't know what kind of speakers you guys have at home, but recently my friends at Sonos sent me a speaker and I took it out of the box, downloaded the app, and the thing's incredible. Full frequency range, you know, vocals are clear, bass was bumping. The whole thing was exactly how you want music to be heard. And if you're a songwriter, you know what I'm talking about. You spend all this time making sure that your music sounds perfect in front of a studio monitor, and then you go home, you want to have your Sonos speaker there to reflect the music that you are recording in the studio so go to www.sonos.com and get yourself a speaker if you want to get more it's so intuitive you get more and the app will figure out how to make your system even functional within itself so again you can listen to spotify apple whatever it is but go to www.sonos.com and get yourself a speaker now There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss welcome to and the writer is i am your host ross golan today's multi-award winning multi-platinum songwriter artist musician has had a decade-long run of success including seven number one top 40 country hits with legends like kenny chesney the band perry sam hunt and dirks bentley all while scoring old dominion winning this year's acm award for vocal group of the year this guy has cemented himself as one of the premier frontmen in nashville this Virginian is not only a staple in the music scene, but also a family man at home. And the writer is the biggest gear junkie I've ever met. <laughs> Matthew Ramsey. <laughs> wow. But she, I thought, kind of thought you were going to do that when I was outside the room, but I'm just combusting it. Yeah, I mean, I just want to make it as uncomfortable as possible to start. So uh, you were signed in 2005. What took you so long? Yeah, uh, I sucked. Okay. Yeah. Did you always suck? No, okay, let's start from the beginning, really. Um, You're from Virginia. Where in Virginia? Uh, It's from a very small town. It's called Buckhannon, Virginia. It's spelled Buchanan, but everyone calls it Buckhannon. Okay. It's about a thousand. Is that an accent problem? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's only a thousand people. Whoa. So there's no stop. Like, how many people were at your high school? Uh, 
right under 400, I think. Yeah. We're at the whole, I graduated with 70 people. Crazy. So. Do you still keep in touch with all of them? Uh, no, <laughs> no, uh, but some of them. Some yeah. Of them I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a very rural and small town. When did you start playing? You played drums first. That's your first I played drums. Time? Yeah. I started playing drums when I was, I don't know, sixth grade or whatever. And then uh, as I, I was in like the drum line and stuff. Oh, and, cool. In like high school and stuff. And, uh, but then, you know, all of everybody in the drum line, all my buddies in the drum line were like, we should have a band, but we all play drums. And, and then uh, somebody was like, well, I think I got a guitar. I was like, well, I can probably borrow a bass or something, you know. So then I borrowed a bass, and and so the drumline became my first band, and we all started just uh, writing songs together. What was the band called? <laughs> the first uh, incarnation was called Phonology. Oh, yeah, because yeah, we were. That feels like the era appropriate, right? Right. If you totally. know the era, totally. then that's, like, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty spot on. And then we went uh, into uh, uh, pork rinds. Was the name of oh, the, okay. the band? <laughs> but you went. So you went. I mean, that doesn't sound particularly like uh, country, which we'll get into no. later. But that's not a. That's not like the a tip. Not, I guess pork rinds, maybe. But I don't know what yeah, kind of music right. was it. It was. Uh, we just wanted to be Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it was like just straight up grunge. It was like Nirvana, Pearl Jam stuff. Yeah. Shout out to my friends who I'm sure are listening to this from junior high. Yeah. They they <laughs> they started a band called Joni's Loaf because uh, yeah. it was like Pearl Jam was Pearl was the grandmother I think Grandma right. Pearl and it was her jam oh, and yeah, it was yeah. like they they were they all liked that and my friend's mom's Joni and she would make this zucchini bread and they called it Joni's, Joni's Loaf. Loaf and it was like. <laughs> Well, I wanted go. to be in that band. They wouldn't let me in the band. So, like, <laughs> you know, I take back the shout out. So, yeah. <laughs> deal with it, guys. Tough. Anyway, so, um, uh, did your parents play music? No, no. Nobody in my family really played. Uh, my uncle did. What did he play? And, uh, he played guitar. He's a great uh-huh. guitar player. And he's sort of, he would, like, when I was in that band in, in high school, he, anything, any kind of stuff he wasn't using or was done with, he would just at Thanksgiving throw it in the trunk of his car and, Drive it down, and then I would have like a new amp or, or some guitar or something. Is this something he was doing as a profession? Uh, n- really, just kind of you know playing in bars and stuff. He always had yeah. a, like cover band and a yeah. day job and cover band. So, uh, but seeing him play, I was like, wow! That, you know, my parents would sneak me into bars just to watch my uncle play, and that was awesome. Pork rinds existed a school of four hundred people, so yeah. you guys are all in, in a drum line of that. That means everybody's yeah. doing multiple things. All of you guys must also be on the football team, and then like in the right. halftime, you're like, "I'm gonna go pick up this drum and like start drumming." It's like right. it's such a small school. Yeah, like, who small, are you yeah. playing shows for? Oh, you know, no one. We right. played. Uh, we played. You know, in our basements, and we played. Um, a couple of high school functions, and then we played. Um, we did kind of. Then there was a, a city called Roanoke, Virginia, which is about thirty miles away, thirty forty miles away, and we did start getting into some clubs there and start playing. Um, you know, with big black X's on our hands, and you know, I don't, I don't know why my parents ever let us do that, but we were in these bars with grown men. You know, when you were kids when you were seventeen, sixteen, seventeen years, yeah. Old. Why did you go to college? Like, why did you go? You went to VCU, right? I did. Why? Yeah. Why did you even continue at that point? You're probably like, I'm 
playing shows. And, yeah, and I, I mean, I wasn't, like, I wasn't, um, you know, I, I really loved art too. I, I was a, you know, a visual artist as well, and um, that's kind of what I spent my whole entire high school doing was playing music and and creating art. And um, so I, I figured I needed to go to college, but um, I didn't know what for, and I didn't want to go for music because. I had had some lessons before, and the lessons for me felt like I was being made to do it, and I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to make the music that I was enjoying for myself, and uh, I didn't want someone to make. I didn't want it to feel like homework, right? So I went to art school where drawing can feel like homework, right? Right? Yeah, because my biggest stress was finishing a painting. Are there similarities <laughs> between? You know, making art and making music yeah, for you. Yeah. Do you do you um, think of them as the same? I don't think of them as the same, but um, and they do you know sort of tickle different parts of my brain. But um, the one the art school I have said before it was so beneficial to me in this career is in that you know I, you would go to class and when you when your project was due, you know you're in a class with all these amazing artists and. You know, on due day, everyone puts their painting up on the wall side by side, and you go down the list, and everyone, you're the whole class critiques you and rips you to pieces. If you're me, you know, I wasn't the like, I was by no means the best painter in that class or any of those classes. And so they would just kind of rip you to pieces, and you learned, you know, how to take criticism and take, you know, use it or, you know, it was just gives you a thick skin. Really. It, it does that, but I, I, mean, I guess the similarity is that I did theater classes sure. growing up, and yeah, yeah. the idea of also you have to learn how to give constructive criticism. Yeah. I think in a way, taking it is something that is useful for obvious reasons, but learning how to give criticism without being a prick. Yeah. Totally. Is, Without is, just being like, that sucks. Yeah, Move but to, on. but to, yeah, and and you know, yeah, to, to be able to say, well, you're not executing this quite like you think you are, or you know, yeah, yeah, and to try to figure out a way to make it better, you know, yeah. Um, so are you playing music through? Did you graduate? I did. Yeah, I graduated with a degree in illustration. And did you play any music in college? Or yeah, that, I played you know? music all through college. I was playing, um, you know, whatever little coffee shop. I could. I was writing on songs your on and, your own. On like, own. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, towards the end of college, I you know found some other dudes and we had a band for a little while and we were playing around Virginia. What was that band called? That was just my name. That was Matt Ramsey Band. Yeah. And then, um, that was back in the days when that was a cool thing to do. <laughs> it's so funny because yeah. that's just what it is. Yeah. I mean, you you know, yeah. we're all in. You end up in bands and you just yeah. If it's Matchbox Twenty, then you're gonna be, you know, whatever Globe right. Forty Five or whatever. You yeah, know, it'll be like totally. just throwing a number. If you're Dave Matthews Band, then you're gonna be, yeah, yeah. And I think you know when Especially I was, when in Virginia. I was, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And when I was in college, um, that's when I I was working at a, um, I was a, literally sorting trash. I was a recycling working recycling place, and I was sorting trash, and there was country music uh, playing. It was always country music in my house growing up. My parents listened to it. It was always on. But I was never like a big like fan. I mean, it was all I knew it all, but that was not what I chose to listen to. But that was on one day in in that recycling plant and I was like 
and I feel like it, I could just I feel like I could write this stuff because I grew I know all of this stuff. You know? What kind of country was it that your parents were? Your parents listening to you know Merle Haggard and yeah, Buck it was Owens country or they, radio or, really? Oh, they so just, there was, there was like, a radio on in the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, and there still is to this day. Yeah. There's just a radio in the corner of my parents' kitchen that's at a very low volume, but it's always country radio. So that was always on, and I I had some exposure to like the Merle Haggards and and Waylon Jennings and stuff through through my grandparents and stuff like that. But it was more like Garth and yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah totally. sure. Were any of the songs good that you were playing in the Matthew Ramsey band, or even before that? Um, good. Yeah, I would say there's probably some merit to them. Uh, I mean, there was some bad ones too, but there were, you know, there were a few, you know, outliers that contained some sort of spark, you know, sure. like something that was like grabbing some attention in some way. Did you ever pull from those once you kind of became a professional? No, not really. Yeah. What what connects you from being working in a recycling Company, you know, company <laughs> to Nashville. Like, what's the story? How do you get from there, from there? to like? Uh, I'm. I hear this. I could write this. To uh, I'm on Music Row. Well, it's kind of long too because that so took, tell it. took quite we a got while. Time. But yeah. Um, what year? Well, give me. Give me that like was a two thousand ish. Okay. Two, you know, probably two thousand. So hearing that, thinking I could write it was ultimately uh you know wrong that i could go home and sit down and write that what does that mean why is it wrong uh because you know your ideas of what a country song are and the thinking it's so simple and it is simple um but it's hard to write that simple you know it's hard to do that so um it did sort of though it did sort of shift the way i looked at writing music and um you know just a more lyrical story than than before but so i graduated college and when i when i graduated i had to make a choice that uh, i was either going to pursue art or i was going to pursue music because i felt like i couldn't half-ass both of them if i tried to do both i felt like they were both going to suffer so i chose music uh, much to my parents chagrin i think were they really angry they were about not it? they were not angry about it at all yeah. they, you know they were uh, they they were, have been completely supportive of my sure. music all the way through. Um, but so I, I moved um, to Blacksburg, Virginia, and um, was in uh, that band, Matt Ramsey band. We were playing as much as we could all over the region, playing um, playing in Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, with this band called um, the Small Town Workers. I would go up there and play a lot by myself, and and some with this other band, which turns out those members of that band are now in the band that I'm currently in. So um, I've known those guys forever. Um, but so I, I was, you know, sort of toiling away, um, uh, writing songs, and then, um, you know, that band ended up breaking up, and then I was I made a little um, CD on my own, went to a little recording studio and made a disc and was you know playing coffee CD shops. baby and stuff yeah, yeah totally yeah, sure. I ordered a thousand CDs yeah exactly I, think I still have about 800 of them uh-huh um <laughs> and um so at that point there was this there was this radio program on public radio called Mountain Stage and uh it was a lot of like folk music and um singer songwritery stuff and I used to listen to it and they were having a songwriter festival sort of nearby 
and I went to it and um, met um, Daryl Scott, who is a who's a country songwriter. He wrote um, "It's a Great Day to Be Alive" for oh, Travis uh, yeah, Tritt, sure. and he wrote some a bunch of the Dixie Chicks stuff. Sure, and he was. He was like a feature there and uh, sat in a room and watched him play and was blown away. So uh, I went to him afterwards and said, you know, I'm thinking about moving to Nashville. What, you know, what do you think about that? And he said, well, you know, if you're going down there to be a star, um, then I wouldn't do it. He goes, but if, if you want to go down there and learn how to write a great song and be surrounded by the greatest songwriters and the greatest musicians and learn from that, then I think by all means you should do it. And so I took that to heart and still to this day try to keep that attitude whenever I'm, you know, in a writing session. But that's that's my attitude towards Nashville is I've just when I made the choice to go down there, it was to learn and not to not with these ex- expectations of just blowing up. So yeah, that's amazing advice. So it was super cool advice. At the same time, so afterwards he leaves. You're you're still in Blacksburg, and you're right. like, hey guys. Well, well, I, no, because the band is yeah, the, the band, other band is not yeah, together yet yeah. or anything. So um, it's just me and my wife. And when did you meet her? In middle school. No way. Yeah, yeah, so she it, was going through all this with you. Yeah, she's she's been she's been through the whole thing. Yeah. So um, so then we're like, all right. One of, man band, no more. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So then it's like, all right, uh, I'm thinking about moving to Nashville, but still, still not sure. You know, I still haven't been sold. And then um, I'm working at a stained glass place. Um, I, was, I was working, I started like um, kind of painting stained glass windows and, and designing stained glass windows for this thing, Lynchburg stained glass in Lynchburg, Virginia. And, um, there's a country artist that was pretty hot at the time. His name is Phil Vassar. He's also a big songwriter too. He was, he was writing all that nine, all the '90s country hits and stuff. And uh, he's from Lynchburg, Virginia. And his sister came in, and um, they told me she was coming in. So I, in shameless self-promotion, handed her a CD and said, "You know, pass it on if you want." And um, she called me about a week later and said, "Hey." Um, I'm going down to Nashville. I want a few more of those CDs. So I gave it to her. And uh, a couple of weeks later, she calls me and is like, you should come down here. And um, so I did. Uh, I went down there and it was, th- at this point, it was August of 2002. And I went to, to Nashville and her sister, her other sister who worked with Phil Vassar at the time um, took me around Nashville, showed me the Bluebird Cafe and all this stuff and we were like we drove by all these like big houses and i was like man these houses are insane and she said yeah one of them is phil's we're going there after here so we went to phil's house and he was like man you know i heard your music and you're obviously not an amateur but uh if you want to be successful at this then you need to be here and so i moved within two months (laughs) i can't i went down there and he um was amazing. He uh, he he took me on the road with him, and was like, "Whatever, if you want to come and you want to see what this is like, you need to come out and see what it's like." So I would hop on the bus and go on tour for a couple weeks just to see. And we would sometimes write, sometimes not. Usually not. I would just be there, just kind of soaking it all in. And um, his tour manager at the time is now our tour manager, and he 
good. No like, way. Yeah, I mean, it's and there's so pretty, many things there. One is if somebody gives you music, do you listen to it? Uh, you know, no one ever does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, no one ever gives me music, but yeah, the fact that he actually did—that's what's so surprising. It. I mean, it, it's one thing to, you know, for for the people in the company to say uh, that stained glass company and say, "Hey, you're we're, this Phil." They knew who Phil Vassar's yeah. sister was, right? First of all, right. Then they say you should bring in music and be prepared. Yeah, was you happen to have a CD, yeah. and then you gave it to her, and she had the. Ear to not only hear it, right. but then show her sister who's working with Phil, yeah. which meant that they all had a conversation behind your back. Yeah. And they were all like, well, why don't we tell this kid to move up here? Yeah. And you're sitting there at the stained glass company for that week, yeah. being like, she never listened to it. Yeah. Just and you're still going in every day, working away. Yeah. And they're all having conversations about, well, this guy's pretty good. We should bring him out. You know, should we do right. it? How do we do that? <laughs> you want to go tell him? Like, should you call him? Like, why don't we do that? Right. And then you come up and we'll show him Bluebird, and we're going to go and woo him a little bit. And we'll get right. him. To, and you're sitting there having no idea any of this is happening. Yep. Yeah. No, and you this know? is actually over the, over the. <laughs> Period of a couple of weeks at this point. And yeah, I'm totally. Still there, literally writing songs. I had, you know, you had the, the old school like time punch card. Yeah, I had like a stack of them, and I was writing lyrics during the day on these time punch. Do cards. you have any of those? I don't. I wish I did. Man. Yeah, I really wish I did. But yeah, they were just completely. When you said to your wife, "We're going to Nashville," yeah, you, you didn't have kids yet, right? No kids yet. So no. you're, um, it's just like, right, yeah, of course we're gonna get up and go. I mean, yeah, this is huge. You know, and then you go up, you go on tour, and for people who haven't seen a backstage tour for Nashville, it's a little different than when you go to a pop concert, right? I think just people in general have uh, it's a little more of a community, yes, of people. You know, the the roadies are talking to the guys in the band, are talking to uh, the, yeah. you know everyone. It's not, uh, you know, it's it it doesn't really have this superstar kind no, of feeling even with the like, superstar. In, you know, in our band, you know, our goal is to make everyone feel like they're yeah. part of the whole thing and the you know, we, we try to create a real family vibe every night before the show. The entire crew comes back but right before the show we we have a, a toast and it's someone's turn every night to do the toast and you don't know who it's gonna be and it you know it could be the lighting guy, it could be me, you know. Where does that come from? That work ethic, or that, uh, that, that, that maybe vibe, the, yeah. Um, well, we went on tour with Kenny Chesney for for about you know three years, and he has that vibe for sure. He he treats everyone so well, and we just wanted to kind of carry that through. Do you get nervous uh, performing? Sure. No. Did you ever? Uh, no. Uh, the only time I really got nervous, I get nervous if I have to sing at somebody's wedding. Oh yeah, and I get or I have done a funeral, um, but that's the only real time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I do kind of, get. What um, kind of person doesn't get nervous in front of a bunch of humans yeah. while you're about to go and like yell in an amplified microphone? Right. You know, I guess maybe at some point I did, but I guess I sort of always had this feeling that what's going to happen, and you know, I mean. Uh, I yeah, bet. right. What's the worst case yeah. scenario? Is that, <laughs> yeah, is that I walk like, off stage? Yeah, I mess yeah. up. Oh, okay. You know, right. <laughs> you know, right. I never really right. got nervous. Um, so this is, you know, you go on 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 tour with Phil. Yeah. And 
that's you know at this point probably 2003 or four yeah. even right yeah I mean because that's a long period of time when you're talking about you go up there it's oh, a yeah. lot of work of meeting people waiting for tours to start you're going on tour um, are you per- you're not performing or writing with them you're just going for the vibe right what brings you does he start booking sessions for you I mean when do you start writing no co-writing? really the best thing that he did for me was just sort of pull the curtain back a little bit and and he never really set anything up for me or or even really um opened any doors for me except for him you know um i just i had to hit the ground running when i moved there and start making you know making a name for myself as best i could and um it it took me longer than it takes some people i think I, you know it took me it took me you know, a solid 10 15 years to scratch the surface I feel like you know um but you know I was just I was there and I didn't like tour extensively with him I would just go out for a week or two and then I'd be home for a month or whatever and, and I was just writing where trying going out to writers night literally opened the phone book when we the first night we were there and like saw oh songwriter cafe broken spoke songwriter cafe let's go there went there met some Friends that I'm still friends with today, you know. I think a lot of Luke Laird actually was there. I, I, that's how I met Luke Laird. <laughs> so was sick. in the little, you know, crappy little green room of this little place that I looked up in the phone book. Friend of the podcast, Luke Laird, yeah. good yeah. man. You know, I think a lot of a new writers assume that that they're they're trying to get in with the Luke Lairds or the Max right. Martins or whoever's at the top right now, yeah. and what they don't realize is. It's their peers that they yeah. meet at those places that will become that, Absolutely. and those guys will be the Phil Vassers, yeah, and those guys will be you know whatever it is totally. the LA, LA reader whoever is you know the older than Max version you right. know, yeah. but they work. You have to work your way up with your peers, just like any other industry, you know. Yeah. And it's just something where I think people assume they'll. I mean, sometimes that happens where they get to work with some great right off the top, but. Right. What a good mentor is is what Phil did, which was yeah. show you what what to do, and then you go and hustle and you right. make it happen. And I would play, you know, I would I would send him music every once in a while, and uh, he would listen and go, "You're doing everything right, man. Just keep going." Great, you know. And he never he never was like, "Let me play this for so and so. Let me play this for so." He would just say, "You're doing it right. You're doing it right. Just keep doing. You're doing everything right." You moved the band up. Or they moved up. Also, well, they like um, so they must have seen what you were doing and were like, "Well, well, we it, play. it was funny." Like at one point, I when I was on tour with um, with Phil, I, I we played in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I I walked off the bus, and some of the guys were actually working as like the stagehands for the local like stagehands that day, and they were and they were like. Dude, Ramsey just stepped off the bus. <laughs> They're like, "What is he doing?" And I try, I would always call them. They were still together. That they were still that band, Small Town Workers, um, at this point. And uh, I would call them all the time and be like, "Man, you guys are such a great band. You got to come down to Nashville. You would kill it." And you know, they were they were a rock band. And I was like, you know, the scene is not just country. You got to come down here. You guys would kill. They they broke up. Um, so they sort of one by one moved down. 
It was the drummer that I also grew up and met in middle school with. Uh, he came down. He was, was he part of the drum line? He was in the competing drum line. Oh, he yeah. Was, he was in the drum line that was yeah. way better than ours. Really? Uh, yeah, he was, he's, he was always amazing, yeah. and we would always go watch his performance because he had solos and stuff. He was great. So he moved down, and um, Jeff, the bass player, moved down because he wanted to be like a session guy or a touring musician. And um, and then Brad, um, Brad, I didn't really know that well. He was in a different band, and he sort of moved down a few years later. And But at the time, it was a different guitar player that was, um, that, you know, is now also a successful um, touring musician. And, uh, and the singer from that band plays for Taylor Swift now. And I mean, it's like everyone, ca- everyone came down and, yeah. and hit it, man. Yeah. So it's um, nice to know when you when you're growing up and you look around and you're like all oh, these people are really talented that that may mean that they're world class talented and not small town talented. Right. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, cuz it is you just have to put yourself in the right position and and work your ass off. Right. Exactly. But they all came down and um yeah, we were just kind of their um buddies. And you know, I'm writing songs. I'm writing songs with this guy Trevor Rosen that that I'd met in Nashville. And so the songs that Trevor and I were writing, I was, you know, I always wanted to play gigs. You know, I always want to go play the songs I wrote. So I would book myself at whatever little club in Nashville and go play. And then I'd need a band, and my buddies were here. So I'd be like, Hey, can you, you guys want to come play? I can't pay you, but you know, and they'd be like, Yeah, dude, let's go. Play. That helps that you have friends, yeah, in those places, yeah. As many of you know, I have an album coming out this summer. I talk about it a lot. It's called The Wrong Man. And uh, one thing I learned very quickly when we finished mastering it and and before it's come out is that I want to play it for anyone who comes to our house. But, um, you know, it's weird to have people come and just sit in your studio and listen to your studio monitors. You want to have dinner. You want to have, you know, people sitting around and, and enjoying the music in the way normal people enjoy music. So my friends at Sonos recently sent me a speaker, and I'm telling you that it's incredible. It's something of a game changer because it's easily portable, so I can put it in different rooms, but we just set it up. I took it out of a box, downloaded the app, and I pressed play, and I was sold because vocal clarity's there, the bass is there, it, the transparency is, is brilliant, and you can have a speaker that is affordable and easy to play and set up um, that genuinely shows the work I've spent in the studio. So if you want to get a speaker, go do it at Sonos.com. I'm telling you, you won't be sorry. It is an incredible experience for musicians to have speakers that represent the sound that they're recording in the studio. So again, go to Sonos.com and grab a speaker now. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You guys signed, though, kind of early, right? I mean, the, RC, the deal well, with RCA is pretty early. It's pretty new, but um, no, we we toured for years on our own with no uh, no deal or anything. So, uh, so yeah, I they, guess 2007 is when we really started playing uh, as this band. Oh, I see. Okay. And uh, we were touring around the country in a van for the longest time. Was it hard for them to convince? Were they all married? Is it hard to yeah. convince your wife at that point that hey, I'm going to leave because I'm going to go tour in a van? Or yeah, she it wasn't like, the easiest. Um, yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing. But um, I mean, it's sort of at this point, so there's there's a little buzz happening about the the songwriting, and that's helping. You know, so I'm starting to get some traction as a songwriter around the time the band starts to take shape yeah so finally starting to get a little bit of movement there and I'm, I'm getting you know i've got a publishing deal and i'm making a little bit of money so i'm not really getting any cuts yet but but you're not but you're eating right you're making music and eating yeah. and you're not having to work right at you know yeah so then it would be like plants. we wouldn't go you know we would go out for a couple of nights you know and we just you know i would take all the car seats out of the the minivan and then <laughs> Then the dudes would jump in, and we would drive to Alabama and play, you know, and come back. And where so, did the name come from? It was it's the nickname for the state of Virginia since right. since all of us are or most of us are tied to Virginia, right? Looking for something. And yeah. Really, the only thing I could find, I was literally setting up. We were setting up in a bar one night, and I was like, "Guys, the only thing I can find that's not taken is Old Dominion." And they went, "What's wrong with that?" Yeah. And that was it. So makes sense. Yeah. Um, when do you sign with Shane McNally, who becomes you know yeah. your first real main co-writer? As far as I mean, it's him and Josh Osborne in yeah. a way that where you start really getting those. I mean, yeah, Shane and Josh, huge, huge names to yeah, have well, as random co-writers. You right. Know? Well, that's <laughs> you because I had met them um, before they were huge writers, and we were all writing together. And uh, you know, Shane would come over to my house and. And, and we would write, and I think at the time when I met him, he had uh, one one song, "Last Call" by Leanne Womack, was his only song that he really had going at the time. But it, you know, to us, it was like That's he's got he's got world. something, yeah. you know, like and and so we were we were all just writing together, and then Shane just blew up, and Josh blows up, and you know, we're all then you know, like you were saying, your class of peers. Yeah. We were in that class, so we start to get it too, and we start yeah. rising up. And same, it's just naturally happened with Shane and the band. We've we've been, you know, in demo sessions and stuff with Shane, where he produces these demos. And you know, meanwhile, the band is happening, and we start talking about, you know, cutting some music on our own. And and we were like, man, you're so good in the studio. When we make these demos, you should just come produce us. And he was like, "Well, yeah, I'll do that," you know. And so, you know, at this point, he really didn't have a whole lot 
going on. He's starting to, he was really starting to break as a songwriter at that point. Crazy. Yeah. I guess Chainsaw is really sort of the first. First big one, yeah. My first, one, the first right? one I heard on the radio was a song called "Wake Up Loving You." That was Craig Morgan's song, but then Chainsaw was the one that really sort of was like, "Okay, I think this is gonna, it's gonna work." Yeah. So, and uh, what's it like to go from you know your parents have this little radio in their kitchen, which yeah. means that they can hear that song at home, which means right. they heard it a lot, right? Yeah. You know, what's it like for all the people who are around you? Everyone uh, that's around me is so, um, they're so supportive and um, they make me feel so good because, you know, we skipped over a lot uh, in this story of years of being broke in Nashville and and just job after job and, you know, wanting to give, give up. Give me a list of and, some of those jobs. Yeah, so, I mean... I was an egg cook. I worked for uh, an art gallery. I worked for a moving company. You know, um, whatever I could do. You know, just because we were broke, I would I would do. You know, I would work at a coffee shop. I was just like anything to to help me pay the bills, and um, which was really super tough to do. So it was, you know, it's a grind, man. It took a really long time, and so for it to for it to like actually work, everyone around me, I think, knew how hard I'd worked at it, yeah. and they're so proud and so supportive. And you know, when did you feel like that was? I mean, obviously, I would assume it's that song. I mean, as you said, you had heard songs on the radio before, yeah. but it's almost harder to see a song go at radio and then not go all the way. Right. You know, there has to be a moment where you own. I think. I think I just did it. Yeah, I don't know because it's like sometimes I do feel that. Sometimes I think you know with the Dirks, Dirks Bentley's song "Say You Do" was my first number one, and uh, I think you know that was you're just you're just always in Nashville. It's such a number one song driven thing that at least in the writing community, it's like that's that's the that's the brass ring. That's what you want. So I think that was the moment where I was like. Oh, Got it, you know, but I still never felt like I had it forever, you know. Did you want to ever stop being an artist once you see? Because it's right around the same time that the artist stuff really starts to break. But is right. there a point there where you're like, well, I'm making it as a writer. Why am I spending time on the road in a van if I'm making X yeah. amount in a session with friends yeah, and then I no. can go home? Like, why do you why do you do that to yourself? I don't know, <laughs> but you know, I didn't ever want to quit doing that. It was we were having too much fun. Um, you know, it was just there's something about um, writing the music and then being able to be the artist that performs it for me that is extremely gratifying you know sure. it's, it's to be able to there's a connection for sure that people have uh, with your songs and um, sometimes I feel like as a writer you miss that and you don't you don't get the the joy of seeing that and when you know like right now in the spot that this band is in um, you know I can walk out onto a stage and there's 10,000 people there and they're all smiling from ear to ear, and it's because of 
the music that we created from nothing. And that is like, holy shit, man. Like, so as a, if I was I mean, a songwriter times, at home, I wouldn't be able to feel that. It's 10 times the size of your hometown every yeah, night. Like, every you night. can't, you can't really. You can't really describe that if you put everyone in your hometown and then cloned them each yeah. ten times <laughs> yeah. every night. Every night. It's yeah. an impossible thing to imagine what that's like. Yeah. You know? It's an unreal feeling, man. And it's just um, you kind of break as an artist off of songs that aren't particularly country. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we're both part of the last generation of people who, who remember aisles and stores, but are making music in an environment that has no genre. Right. Um, what makes you country? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think for, a, for the longest time, I was writing what I thought was, was country. You know, I was trying to write for country radio. And there's a certain. I guess back then too, there was a certain like kind of unspoken set of rules for country. What were those? It's, like, it's just very like, you know, it has to the hook has to be like really nicely set up and perfectly delivered, and put a nice little bow around it, and uh, it can, there can be no room for interpretation. Really, it's just everything has to be so perfectly clear. And I and I was trying to, and then also then write about you know. Boots and trucks and shit like that. That I don't. I don't really. That's not who I am, you know. Um, and so, and nor was it Shane or Josh or you know these guys. Um, so when we we sort of all collectively made this decision, we talked about it a bunch of just to stop trying to do that and and start writing music that we really loved. And that's when we all got the attention. So it just sort of, I think. Spending so much time trying to chase those rules, some of it became ingrained in us and became who we were as writers naturally. And then then we were making music that we loved, but there was a little hint of those like of that country thing that was there. And I think it is about the storytelling aspect of it. The era of what you guys release and then what Sam Hunt released at the same time right which I know you worked on is is really becomes kind of like the defining sound for like the next yeah. year or two yeah did you feel did you recognize that influence that you were having I don't think so no are you recognize can you recognize it now I uh, don't think so either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. like break up with him, make yeah. you miss me. Are are like it's just they're in the same family, right? You know, and I know that one is you and one Sam, right? But they obviously you were uh, you I'm can hear your D, you yeah. can hear the DNA in it, right? Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to skip too far, but the next album goes from being that into almost like a. I was saying earlier, like it feels like a Coldplay influence, or there's. Right. There's moments of, uh, I don't know. There's almost like uh, Jason Mraz meets Coldplay sure. with like you know. Yeah. It, to me, it doesn't. It was again. I'm gonna go and push myself to sound different than the last thing I sounded yeah. like. Is that by design or am I just reading too much into no, it? No, I think some of it is. I think we're always looking to to you know write something that's you know next feels like it's next or. Mm-hmm. Or feels you know it's you don't want to get bored with the same type of thing, but um, 
some of it is also just being on the road for so long with the same group of guys. And, you know, we're obviously developing a, a sort of a sound that is made up of whatever chemistry the five of us have together. And we write a lot together. So we're playing 200 shows a year. And there's a certain sound that comes out of that. And uh, I think you just sort of develop into this more bandy type of thing than than we were before. Why do you still write for other artists? Um, you know, I still just love writing and I'm not good at, uh, I don't you know, really write for other artists. I just, you just write songs. Write songs. And, and sometimes you're like, ooh, I should do this. Yeah, and you know, I think we, as a band too, we try to, we try to keep that attitude and just write the, the best song we can no matter what. And then, you know, there have been songs that we thought no way would that be an old Dominion song? And then we play through it and go, actually, that's pretty awesome. We don't have anything like that. And it does sound like us. And then there's songs that we thought for sure were old Dominion songs, but then we're like, that's actually not us. Right. Did you ever have a song that you were like, oh, this is an old Dominion song? And then we're like, nah, that's not us. And then it became a hit? Uh, well, we have um, a song... Uh, by Michael Ray, that's on the charts right now. Yeah, the one that got away that, that yeah. we were going to cut, and uh, we messed around with it a little bit and didn't cut. And yeah. now it's at like thirteen or something right now. He's a nice so guy. I like Michael Ray. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Shout guy. out to that guy. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Glad to see he's doing well. So I want to go through a couple other records though. The I think song for another time. What well, you do something with. Your lyrics is it, and I, I'm trying to figure out if it's you or if it's your co-writers or not. But you right. have this. To me, I think what makes it country and not pop is there's that one extra layer of of like you expect it. You know the the make it, it make it sweet, which I know right. is the current single and whatnot. But where the the life is short, make it sweet, and you know some of these like kind of twists of phrase, right? Like I feel like they're they're made to be on a T-shirt for sure. Kind of thing. It's like a bumper sticker. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Is that to me that feels like what what current country? Yeah, it can. Good be. country is is like songs that I want to listen to that have still have that moment. Yeah, and the thing that we miss in pop, I think a lot of times when trying to talk about a lot is how do we get um, how do we capture the essence of a tour title in right. a pop song. You know, that's supposed to be about emotion. And in yours, there's like all, it's a lot of subtext in the emotion. And then, you know, the way it still feels like it's wrapped up. Like to me, it still feels really clear. So it's yeah. interesting you were saying, you know, the old country is almost like everything had to be super clear. And may, either I interpret it a certain way right. as a listener, because. Yeah, I you think know. we still do hold on to that some. I think I think we do. Um, that's the part of it that sort of became ingrained, and uh, it's more. It's just kind of happens now, yeah. you know. But yeah, like, and some of it is like, you know, that like you were you brought up, make it sweet. That is just like, yeah, that is a t-shirt. It is a bumper sticker, and that was just something that came out, and I wrote down like that's too. Perfect to not write. Yeah, yeah. You know? I hope you still have more of that for yeah. when we write in in a half hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned one man band. I said that. I said. Uh, yeah. I, 
I told my wife that I thought it, it's it reminds me of us because we met where she I was playing guitar, right. acoustic guitar, playing a set. Yeah, she came up afterwards, said, "Hey, you got a nice tone," and then disappeared. And it was oh, like wow. it was like her Cinderella moment. That's cool. And I was like, "Who's this person who said you have a nice tone?" Like yeah. no one says that, right? You know, yeah. she didn't say like, "Hey, good job," or like, right. "I like that song," or something like yeah. something so specific about nice tone. Yeah, 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 and and the idea that we went from being just. You know, incredibly broke to not incredibly right. broke is just shocking. You right, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I like the idea of going through it together with someone. Yeah. Um, it that sounds like a song, and I'm sure it probably took you half a day, but it sounds like a song that you worked on for a long time. Is it not? It, do you write that quickly? Yeah, that would happen very fast. Damn. Um, we um. Why? It, it's funny. Why it's, do you have this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh. Someone was on the bus. It was like a, um, it was like a radio person or something, and, and I can't remember what he was talking about. But he said one man band, and just the way he said it, I went, "Oh, that's a really cool idea." And he walked off the bus, and I tapped Brad, our guitar player, and I said, "Hey, we got to write one man band." And he was like, "What do you mean?" And and I said, "Man, I trust me. I think it's a cool idea." And then we were getting ready to go on stage. The intro was happening. For our, we're supposed to be walking on stage, and I went and I went. I'll check it out. I don't want to be one man band. We're recording it into the phone. Yeah. Like, oh, that's really cool. And then we like ran out yeah. and played the show, and then that sat that idea sat on my phone for probably a month or so, and then. Um, yeah, but so that's the that's the key, though. Yeah, you may have written it very quickly, but that month. Right. There are times where you're revisiting that but I, I, in your we head. Nev- we never no, but internally, maybe. no. Yeah, yeah, maybe. No, maybe. But then, damn. Then we were back out on the road. Give me a bone. Yeah. Throw me a bone. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Give think me a bone. It's not something I want. Throw me a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a bone. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Throw me a bone. Maybe. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. Yeah, but then you know, and then Josh Osborne came out on the road with us, and you know, mm-hmm. we're we're backstage at you know some show and. In the dressing room, and you know, said I was like, "Hey, remember that idea, one man band?" And do you and find? Wrote it. I you know I I've written with some a lot of Nashville sessions right. and gone, but one one of those sort of rules in the pop world is yeah, but how many people can relate to being in a band? Right. And my argument is like, well, the more that you tell your story, the more people find themselves in it. And sure. they start to relate to it. Sure, yeah. Do you find that when you release a song like that, make it sweet, everyone can relate to right, it? Right, right. But one man band, which I personally relate to, I can't imagine everybody can relate to. Right. Do you find that to be the case now, having seen, you know, performing that for an audience? Can you see the difference in that lyric? Or do people. Man. Or do people put themselves in one man band? I think, you know, you even know, if they're not a musician. I think you can relate to it as. A musician, or just as a love story, you know. Um, but I think too, man. I I, I, I kind of come to that question a lot too. Sometimes it's like, is it too inside? Is it too like? Do people really know what it's like to be? If we write about the road, or if we write about being in a band or a musician, is it too inside? But some of it is, um, man. That just social media and everything. Like your, our job is to actually include everyone in every single thing we do now. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So they know details about what it's like anyway. So um, I think they can relate in that way. Um, but then if they can't, then I think they do try to 
they probably latch on to the, the love story side of it. Why do you still do this? Uh, the, the easy answer is just because I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I, when um, there's nothing better, really. I mean, when I write a song, I feel so good. And when um, I play a show, I, there's no, th- those are the moments where I know I'm, I'm living my purpose. And uh, it feels really good. And if that goes away, then I won't do it anymore. But, but right now, it's, it's really great. On to this next segment. We'll call this five for five. <laughs> it's funny, I, I was talking about this the other day in a session. Someone's like, I hate that you never had a name for that. And that you always talk about how you don't have a name for it. And it drives me nuts. You need like a little like jingle. Yeah, five for five, five for five, five for five. Oh, weird! See how I just ended. That's how easy it is, folks. Spent all night working on that. All right, let's go with Trevor. Oh, I'm. Oh, this is what the deal is. I'm gonna give you a name. You just yeah, you can figure it out. Trevor Rosen. Trevor Rosen is um is I would say. He's like a partner in crime for sure. He's the guy that like we we latched onto each other. We met on stage um, at a writer's round. We hit it off and we sort of went, we rose through all the ranks side by side, even down to the like the Ban Perry thing. He wrote he got a Ban Perry cut, I got a Ban Perry cut, and they were both up for the first single and he he won out on that one. But we just seemed to always be just kind of joined at the hip. Shane McNally. Shane McAnally is like I could talk until I cried um, about Shane because he's just such a a beautiful soul and person and creative force and on uh, on top of all of those things he's a great friend and um, and such a supporter of of your dreams and um, he's he's just the best. Josh Osborne. Josh Osborne is is. Uh, I just think of um, a smile when I think of Josh. Josh makes me smile and also is just such a unique brain. His brain works like no other. And it's, it's, it's quicker than any other brain I know, and it's more sensitive than any brain I know. It's, he's, he's, his brain and his heart are one thing. Phil Vassar. Phil Vassar is, I owe some, he's the mentor. You know, he's the guy that, will always seem larger than life to me, even though, um, you know, Old Dominion has, it's hard for me to see, we talk about it sometimes, uh, Old Dominion has grown to levels that are way bigger than he ever got as an artist, but I can't see that. I still see him as this this mentor figure that, you know, it's, he's, I'm so thankful that I came across him. I like that a lot. Your wife? My wife has been through hell and back. <laughs> she's, she's a great person. And, um, you know, she's, we, were, uh, we were kids and we've grown and we've grown through this whole thing, um, sometimes together and sometimes separate. And, um, but she's a huge supporter and... As, and I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it without her, for sure. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's steal more of it in a little bit because yeah, we're going to write a song together. But, um, you know, <clears throat> the idea of being someone who is willing to put their name out there and attach it to a song. You know, I asked if you get nervous being on stage. I didn't ask if you get nervous, you know, when you have a song out, you know, coming out. Right. But I don't think people recognize how brave someone is to put music out, that they're putting themselves out there for strange ridicule. It's like walking into, you know, Right. Some some mall naked or something, and then right. you know just living your life. I mean, it is so strange. Every time your song is put in the ether, other people are listening to it and judging it because right. people are experts at listening to music. Sure, you know, and it's one thing when you write a song and someone else puts it out. If it doesn't work, climbs up the chart, it right. goes away, and you're back for another day, and it's right. fine. It's a whole other thing when you start building your, when your brand is somehow attached to your music and people, they don't judge just your songs. Right. People will say, like, oh, I don't like Taylor Swift. Right. Yeah. Which is not fair. That's not really how, how it actually works as a songwriter, as right. an artist. Like, you're putting this out because it's fun to put out music and you're willing to be honest and then yeah. someone ridicules it but i listen to your music and i feel connected to it because it speaks to me right. so as somebody who is on the outside i appreciate when you write with honesty and i appreciate that i mean the fact that i can find a, you know find myself in any of the songs right. says Says a lot from a songwriter's perspective because right yeah. it'd be really easy for me to just say these are just good songs, right? But it's not easy for me to be like, hey, Jackie, this is you know, yeah. listen to this, this should be our song, yeah, yeah. That's a different thing. I, I can't compliment you more than than that from one writer to another. Yeah, I, I, uh, appreciate I really appreciate that, so that. Thank you so much. So, for that. thanks again for doing this and uh, excited to write a record with you, absolutely. Let's let's get to work for sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 